You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 21, all about the practical applications of functional anatomy. My guest today, Lila Schwartz, is known as the grandmother of yoga in Asheville, North Carolina, where she and I both live. She is the author of Healing Our Backs with Yoga. In today's episode, Lila shares the wisdom of 38 years of teaching yoga in the Iyengar method. Based on her personal experience with back pain, she became a trailblazer in the therapeutic application of yoga, and she has used that practical knowledge to write this book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga. Along with decades of experience teaching yoga back care classes and training teachers, Lila also has a background in massage and cranial sacral therapy. She also has extensive training in functional anatomy and physiology. In our conversation, Lila and I talk about the difference between positive pain and negative pain. We discuss how to work progressively to address back pain, including what goals to prioritize and in what order. She shares how to use the visualization of a clock face on the abdomen to determine optimal alignment and to create optimal engagement for the core. She also discusses the best way for yoga teachers to get started using the sequences in her book to help their students who have back pain. At the end of the episode, there's a special giveaway, so be sure to stick around for details about how you can win a copy of Lila's book. Lila is a very special person in the yoga community in Asheville, and I am so honored to get to interview her. So let's jump into the interview, and I'll see you on the other side. Lila, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Thank you. I am super happy to have you here. You Are you the most long-term experienced teacher in Asheville? Is that there's a I believe that that's true. I believe that's true. I was the first one here in 1981 and the only yoga studio for 10 years trained the initial group of teachers who taught in Asheville. And then, of course, yoga exploded and people came from other places. So it changed. But yeah, I'm the grandmother. And do you remember the first time you and I met? You probably don't. There's no way you do. I'll, I'll tell you because you can't. <laughs> um, I was. I think like 16 or 17 and a friend and I were hired just through some, you know, cause it's a small town, some kind of word of mouth. We did envelope stuffing at lighten up yoga <laughs> when I was a teenager. That's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you know, a, a few years later when I got into yoga, I was like, man, I can't believe that I didn't take advantage of that and, and start practicing yoga at that time. Because, you know, at that time, it feels like every year counts. You know, like I was behind because I didn't start early enough. So that's how you and I met. That's, that's really sweet. Yeah. So will you share with us just a really brief 
description of your journey of how you got into yoga and how you became the grandmother of yoga in Asheville? Sure. I got into yoga because I was seeking relief from physical pain. I had had an accident falling off a horse when I was 16 that severely rearranged my tailbone and gave me a forever friend called an asymmetric pelvis. And that asymmetric pelvis contributed to a lot of the back pain that I experienced, um, hip pain, back pain, knee pain, ankle pain, shoulder pain, oh my God. So it's been the gamut. And so I started in the yoga journey back in Boston and I was seeking, like I said, some pain relief. So I started with chiropractic and taking a yoga class at a studio called Mayo's House of Health. And Mayo Khan was the original model for Superman comic strips. And his wife taught the yoga classes, and he was the chiropractor. And that's where I started my healing journey. And what, when did you start teaching? I started teaching probably about a year or two after that. Um, I also had another teacher in Boston who was a healer, David Carmos, and he was a he was a healer. He understood at back then it was really new that anyone knew about acupressure or how to do massage or how to do mulbanda and how to do nali and how those kind of abdominal exercises would affect the internal organs and flush the organs. It was way back in the Eve Diskin days. So David was one of my teachers and he taught me a lot about practicing yoga and encouraged me to go to Miami. And in Miami is where I started uh, studying the Iyengar method at the Yoga Institute of Miami. And I found that the alignment principles that were in place in the Iyengar method were so helpful in relieving the pain in my body. So back then I was a massage therapist. I was doing maybe 18 massages a week. Um, it was a lot of work for a little, a little lady like myself. I'm only five foot three because I know your listeners don't know that. And I used to massage people that were, you know, men that were 200 pounds. Oh my God, what, was I crazy? Yes, I was young and crazy. But so I found that the Iyengar method of yoga really helped me to relieve all kinds of muscle constriction and back pain, etc. That's really what started my journey because I started finding that freedom. And so I continued to pursue that method for 30 years. And this was really before the era of teacher trainings. Is that right? Oh, totally. Totally. There were, there were hardly any massage therapy schools in the country, let alone teacher training schools. Yeah, so it was really about who you studied with, how much you practiced, who you studied with. So I studied really as with everybody I could get in front of, I took classes with. And sometimes I drove two hours up to, to Boone, from Asheville to Boone, and because there was a woman there who had studied with Vanda Scarvelli and, and Iyengar, and I just wanted to milk it for all it was worth. Yeah, so just feeding my practice. And was there, you know, was there a certain process of getting blessings from your teachers, or was it just a, that you decided, okay, now I'm ready to teach? I think that my impulse is to help others. And so when I, it, it's like anyone who does a teacher training now or who discovers yoga now, they go, oh my God, this helps me so much. I know somebody else it would help. 
right? So it was that sort of a beginning. Um, what I did do in the early years, those first 10 years in Asheville, was I sponsored something called the East Coast Yoga Vacation, which was a week-long immersion. And because I couldn't afford to travel all over the world and study, I brought teachers here for 10 years in a row and, and intensively studied one week every summer and then just practiced, practiced, practiced and started teaching. Of course, taught, I taught a lot. I opened my studio in 1981, you know, and we, we did all that heavy study. And that's when I started doing helping people. Just helping people. There's a lot of conversation around teacher training these days. And most of the teachers that I speak with, we agree that there's only so much that you can even learn in a teacher training, that there's so much more depth and practical knowledge that only comes from experience, only comes from actually getting out and doing it. And seeing the response and, and, you know, basically learning from your students. Right. Well, you know, I, I studied the Iyengar method, so the demands in the Iyengar method were really high. And when I did my 20 years of teacher training, my 200-hour program was more like a 300-hour program. So my demands on my students were really high. They didn't like it so much at the time, but they became better teachers, and I had really good reputation for a lot of my teachers around the Southeast I, I demanded a lot. I demanded a lot. And I know my anatomy because I had my background in, in for massage therapy. So I had anatomy and physiology. I had it in college, in a four-year college degree. I was a physical education-focused instructor. And then I got it again in massage school. And I just took that right over into my yoga practice. So, you know, I love doing my CEU courses for massage therapists because they already know their anatomy. And in a, in a yoga teacher training setting, I had to teach them the functional anatomy so that they would see how the parts went together so that they could have a safe and dynamic practice without injury. And there's a lot of flow out there right now that goes on that people just don't really have a clue about those things. Absolutely. And then you took all that knowledge and all that information and you created a book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga, which I noticed also includes a good bit of functional anatomy. It really is based on functional anatomy. It has to be because we move through space. And so in order to have a healthy back, we need a balance of dynamic motion in order to be healthy, stand vertical in the, in the line of gravity. So my interests go very deep. And that, was, that, that book is a result of 30 years of, of practice and teaching and the sequences, you know, there's 22 sequences in the book. And I think this is one of the real challenges with a newer yoga teacher is that how do you create a sequence, not just a sequence that's entertaining to your students, although fun and entertainment is also okay, but um, how do you create a sequence that is reliable and functional so that they end up at the end of the practice with a sense of balance and harmony? In their body. And that's a challenge for most teachers. That's a big challenge. I actually have a course that I'm doing myself, The Art of Sequencing. It's, it's an online teacher training that I'm doing myself, just as a mention, um, that people could see later when they go to my website. Yeah, so that's just a little aside. But um, where were we? Uh, we were talking about how your book is based on functional anatomy. And I 
also noticed you were talking about the sequences right. in the book. Right. And I, one, one of the things I really loved about the book is the way that you regress and progress each of the exercises. You show the different stages of, so that people can find the place where they're at currently and what's appropriate for them. Right. So when people have muscular imbalances, everybody has a different range of motion. And sometimes the range of motion is big, meaning they're too flexible on one side and restricted on the other side, so shallow on the other side. So you actually have to find a way to stabilize the core of the body and then slowly progress in range of motion. So the goals with back pain, relieve the pain, create length and space, and then gradually increase range of motion, and then finally add toning exercises. So a lot of people want to go at back care by just like powering through and toning, toning, toning. And that's really not the best way because the, in the spine, the vertebra are very, it's a closed system. Everything's really tight. It's really closed. That facet joint just has to go one millimeter off alignment and it can create pain down the leg or pinch a nerve. So alignment of the, of the structure in practice of the yoga poses is really critical if people want to get really quick relief and, and know how they got there. This is how I got relief. I can, I can recreate this pattern again and give myself relief tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that's a great segue talking about pain because one of the points that you make in the book that I think is so important and something really worth breaking down and and getting very, very clear on for yoga teachers is the difference between positive pain and negative pain. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I will talk a little bit about that. So there's actually three levels of pain that I, that I tried to separate out. And I understand that this might not be exactly in keeping with the new neurological uh, research studies with yoga, but it's practical. It's practical because the average student just wants to know, how do I understand what's going on in my body? So everybody who has any kind of pain whatsoever, the first thing they do is they stop moving. You ask someone who comes in with a back problem, they say, oh, it doesn't hurt as long as I don't do this or do that. Well, because as soon as they do this or that, maybe something's pinching. And so it makes sense that they would back off. But then when they get in the yoga class and they get on the yoga mat and you ask them, say we're doing supta gustasana and they're stretching their hamstrings. They got a belt around their foot, their legs up in the air and they're stretching their hamstring, which we know as professionals that when you lengthen the hamstring muscle, it attaches to the, to the sits bones in such a manner that there's a reflex up the spine. And so the spinal muscles release also. That's that posterior anatomy train that Thomas Myers talks about, right? So, so we know we're getting that whole reflex release, but then they get into it and the hamstring hurts like, like crazy. And they go, oh my God, this hurts. And they tighten up and they freeze up because they don't know if they're going to re-injure themselves. And so my point in the book is that if you create alignment in the pelvis, if you position the pelvis square on the floor and you keep that alignment balanced, and we can talk more about the clock face in a minute. But if you keep that alignment balanced while you're stretching the leg, that you can stay with the discomfort and breathe 
and watch it change. So the muscles will begin to let go. It'll begin to change. And so I have to sometimes encourage people and coach them while they're in the poses, especially if they've had a lot of back pain. Just breathe. Stay there. Don't push. You know, back off. I give people a 1 to 10 scale. So on a scale of 1 to 10, if 10 is a really intense stretch, don't do that. If it's a 2 or a 3, it's maybe not helping you unless you're in a state of extreme inflammation, and then maybe that could be appropriate. But usually you want to play it at a 4, 5, or 6. So you want to go to the point of some discomfort without pushing. And that's the challenge for people not to push, right? And then once they get to that discomfort, they do some deep breathing. And when they come out of the pose, they look and see, A, the discomfort's gone. B, there's no residual discomfort. So when the negative pain shows up, is if somebody doesn't maintain the alignment of the pelvis and the extension of their spine, and they go into the pose and they overstretch, they pull that leg a little bit too much, and the pelvis tips, then when they come out of the pose, what happens in those first couple breaths, the way a person can really know if what they did was positive or negative, is in those first couple breaths, if it was negative, that lower back is going to tell them it's going to bite, it's going to burn, it's going to cramp, it's going to shoot a little nerve pain down their leg. And they know that they're out of alignment in that area and that that was a negative experience. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by the pelvis tipping? Can you give us some landmarks? And maybe this would be the time to start talking about the clock face. Okay, so let's talk about the clock face. So the clock face is a pelvic clock laying on the front of the abdomen. 12 o'clock is the navel. 3 o'clock is the right hip bone. The pubic bone and the inner groin is 6 o'clock. 9 o'clock is the right hip bone. And where those two lines cross, if you draw a vertical and a horizontal line, where they cross in the very center, that's called the pit of the abdomen or the bottom of the belly. That point, if you draw, take it straight through to the back of the body, is also the fulcrum point of the sacrum. So the sacrum is a curved bone, and that's going to be the fulcrum point. So the idea is that you want to keep the sacrum stable, meaning the clock face will be parallel to the floor. Now, if I'm lying on the floor, my clock face is parallel to the floor. My inner thighs will be dropped. And my lower back will be curved away from the floor. It will not be touching. And so that's one of the ways that people mess up their back over and over again in a yoga practice. It's not that child's pose is bad. It's not that rounding your lower back is bad. But if somebody has a back condition, they've got some back pain and they're pinching. If they over round, it's going to make that area that's already probably weak even weaker. Right. That's a, that's a great point. And there's a, I think there's a lot of confusion in the yoga community around the spinal flexion. And is that okay for backs, especially since we get this, this kind of conflicting information and knowing that spinal flexion is the place where you can generate the most stability in your abdomen and at the same time, it's the place where you're mo most likely to get injured. <laughs> so that those two backs 
kind of contradict each other. But if you, for example, if you go and talk to um, the acrobatic community, they're really into spinal flexion because the only way that they're able to, to do kind of crazy tricks is by creating flexion in, in the spine. And so the overlap between yoga for healing and yoga for fun, <laughs> we could say, you know, creates confusion. There's not, there's not a, there's not a strong line drawn there. And there's so many people who have the story in their head that all yoga is healing. Right. Or right. You know, that's, that's kind of, at least when I was, we could say growing up through in the yoga community, that was the meme. That was the idea that maybe it wasn't said so explicitly, but the impression was all yoga is healing. That is still the impression. I, the key really Mado is not whether the spine flexes or extends, but what is the relative muscular balance of the front of the body compared to the back of the body? In a back pain situation, that psoas muscle is typically so cramped up and so rigid and the transverse abdominis so weak in most people. We don't want the rectus abdominis. We don't want that, that engaged. We want the transverse engaged. Right, so lengthening and opening and cultivating the psoas muscle, building the transverse abdominis, and when the pain is diminished and there's support from the front of the body, then extension must happen for the spine to be happy. So the lumbar curve is an inward curve. It's not an outward curve. Mm -hmm. It's an inward curve. And so when people go through life, we sit in chairs a lot in our culture. You and I are sitting in chairs right now to do this podcast to help people, okay? And because of that, the spine really needs extension. So there's a whole huge sequence in my book about how to progress in spinal extensions. How do you take somebody with a lot of weakness, maybe a herniated disc, pinched nerve, whatever, and gradually teach them how to extend their spine? Lunges are important. But lunges where the bottom of the belly is lifted, where the transverse abdominus is engaged, and the pelvis is stable, right? So not forward bending or back bending, but finding the relationship between the two. It's about relationships. And a lunge is not a lunge is not a lunge. It's always about what's the intention of this pose and how can I behave? How can I embody the pose in a way that fulfills that intention? Exactly. Exactly. And the lunges are really designed to create length in the psoas, especially the iliacus, the big, big heavy muscle that's, you know, lines the back of the pelvis. And that's the one that gets the shortest when we sit in chairs all day long. So you'll find that in my personal yoga practice at this stage in my life, because I sat for two years writing a book, right, is I do lunges, I do baby backbends, um, I do psoas release work, and then I do more baby backbends. So that's really, it can be very helpful. And what is the, what is the biggest piece of the lunge specifically that you see that yoga teachers are missing? What are they, what are they not cueing or practicing in their own practice to get the full benefits of that pose? Okay, so the cueing in the lunge, and typically you have to think about the clock face. 
You have to think about the clock face, the stability of the clock face. The two hip bones should be pointing straight ahead. But then there has to be a relationship between the dropping of the tail and the lifting of the bottom of the belly. So those two, so if you do a lunge, say you do like a half lunge with the rear knee down on the ground, then you really have a lot of control of engaging the transverse abdominus, lifting the bottom of the belly. The front leg, the hip has to tuck into the socket. So you, the front knee should run parallel to the side of the mat, the front thigh should run parallel to the mat. The hip should be squared straight ahead, bottom of the belly lifting, tailbone rooting. And then the, when the arms go up, the arms lift the spine out of the lumbar. So you create a lot of length and space in the lunge. And this is critical. I take people who come into my back classes locally. They'll come in. They'll start with a pain threshold of a seven or eight. In 12 weeks, I've got them down to a three. In 16 weeks, I've got them down to a one. How did that happen? Mostly teaching them how to lengthen their spine. And in order to lengthen the spine, you got to anchor the tail, lift the bottom of the belly, and go up. So the arms and the spine have to go up. Um, referring back to that, that posterior chain, that posterior line, one I, I once took a class with you, and there's a cue that you gave in that class that really I never forgot, which was to press the top of the foot down into the mat. And that helped me engage my glute. That was on the back leg. Yep. And that, that engages reciprocal inhibition yep. for the psoas on that same side. Yep. Another concept that you talk about in, in the book. book. So that was like a really awesome cue that that has stuck with me well you know when i wrote the book i really intended to write it with something that you just mentioned which i call action language it's not just oh put this leg here put that leg there breathe lift it's not that it's when you you know you do the opposite thing when you press the rear shin and the foot down into the floor you can then engage the back of the hamstring, fire those glutes, and get the reciprocal inhibition. So that's what I call action practice as opposed to positional practice. I like it. Awesome. So I'm going to say one more thing about yeah. the book, and then I won't say anything else. But Oh, no, it's all about the book. It's all about the book. So the 22 sequences that are in the book, to finish that thought from earlier, those sequences are tested over time. They use reciprocal inhibition. They use dynamic alignment with the poses, and they are reliable. If it says shoulder release, that's what you're going to get. If it says tone your abdomen, that's what you're going to get. If it says strengthen your legs, that's what you're going to get. So they're reliable. They've been tested over many years in many classes with many different students. And uh, I feel really comfortable knowing that people have a, a powerful resource in the book. That is so awesome. That's actually a great segue into, I'd like to read a little snippet of a review from Yoga Therapy Today about your book. It says, 
yoga therapists might consider using this book with their clients to help them develop a regimen of yoga postures that will effectively and logically address common issues related to back pain. The final section supply an extensive chart of muscle asana relationships and photo sequencing of asana for specific back pain conditions, making this a useful reference. So I know that, you know, in a lot of ways, the book is structured as kind of a self-help experience. And as I was reading through the level of detail and mm-hmm. this, this instruction of if at first you need to start here and then you progress as you're ready, my first thought was people won't know. I mean, this is what I notice with people is that when they're trying to self, self-coach, we could say, uh-huh. that they either over-effort and work too hard and, and hurt themselves and, and then don't progress, or they under-effort and also don't progress. And so that is, that's the challenge to a self-guided experience. Most people need guidance. Most people need an expert outside perspective to help them know how much to effort, how many reps, how, you know, and, and you can do that. You don't have to be especially with this guide, you can do that with, you don't have to have the 30 or how many years, 30, 40, you know, you don't have to have the level of experience that you need to write this book to be someone's guide through these practices, because some of it, it's about observation, your observation skills, and it's about, you know, feedback, you know, being in relationship. So I'd love to get your take, some advice from you on how yoga teachers could use the sequences in your book, either in class settings or even better in in private class settings. So always, if, you know, there's two two things. Even though it it is challenging for someone to self-guide from a book who doesn't have a yoga teacher, my experience has been that some of those sequences are basic enough and balanced enough that if they just go through the sequence, they're going to start getting better. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I give guidance about pain levels. If this is your pain level, don't go, move on. Stay in the first part of the book until you're down to a two or three pain and then progress. And I understand that some people are foolish and they go forward and they do foolish things. But other people are very thoughtful. And I've had a lot of feedback from people who have not had yoga teachers who have used the book and really progressed with it. So that's, that's number one. Number two, it's like figuring out how much effort on a scale of one to 10. So there's a pain scale and then there's an effort scale. And the effort is, you know, it's okay to play it at a four or five. When you're feeling better and you start seeing some results, you can play it at a five or six. You and I, because we have a lot of experience doing yoga and experience working with our bodies, I can, I can play it in eight sometimes if I recognize with my alignment that that's what's needed. Yeah, but I'm most likely not going <laughs> to. Right, I'm most likely not going to go that high. That's pretty high pain, pain level. So the, the sequences themselves, oh, so a yoga teacher, in order to teach, you can't teach anything you don't know. And to be in integrity as a yoga teacher, you have to practice the sequence. You have to practice it over and over again. See what it does in your body. Your body is your laboratory. Make the mistakes on yourself so that you can figure out how to verbalize it for a client or a student and how to apply it. And that's really the best advice I could give anybody. That's how I practiced in the past. 
That's how I still practice today. So I've been doing some work with another uh, ther- yoga therapy book on, on the psoas muscle. And I've been doing her practices because they're different from mine, right? And experimenting. It's like, oh, I found the limitation of this practice. I see where this has to be stabilized now and this has to happen, that has to happen. Because I practice, because I practice on myself. And now when I share it with somebody else, so that's how we learn, that's how we grow, that's how we stay in integrity. Now when I share it with somebody else, it'll have real value because I understand it. And that's what a yoga teacher has to do. They have to spend time on their mat. That's great advice. So with the book, do you think that it would be more beneficial to take one practice and stick with it for a while, even as a yoga teacher? Even as, you know, some yoga teachers have back pain, but let's say our hypothetical yoga yoga teacher does not have back pain, but they get requests from people with back pain and they're, they're attempting to learn more about these sequences. Would, would you advise them to, to start with one and, and work with it for a while or to do all of them? Okay. So the, the guideline on any sequence that anyone is teaching, and this is the same guideline I gave to my teachers and teacher training. You have a sequence. You want to teach it. Do the exact same sequence three days in a row. By the third day, if there's something screwy about that sequence that doesn't work, your body's going to tell you. You're going to have an ache, a pain. You're going to feel weak over here, too tight over there. Something's going to be off. Your body will tell you. So that's the laboratory. That's the nature of the body as laboratory. Wonderful. And that gives us a, uh, an assignment that we could give to, you know, any listener. If you are interested, get Lila's book, first of all. And by the way, there is going to be a giveaway at, in just a minute. We'll talk about that. But if you don't win it, (laughs) buy it and pick a sequence and do it for three days. That's an easy that's an easy win. That's you. If you take a sequence designed by somebody with decades of experience and try it out in your own body, you will definitely learn a whole lot. I agree. I think that's, I think that's totally valid and, and that's how it works. It's just how it works. And people will see the results and the changes that they're looking for. Well, let's, Let's go ahead and talk about the giveaway. The plan is to release this episode on October 4th. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that there is a private Facebook group that is associated with the podcast. Many of you are members. If you're not a member, you can just go to teachingyoga.net and look at the top. There's a tab that says join our community. Click that. Make sure that you do answer the questions because I... I only let people in who can follow the instructions well enough to answer the questions. When people ignore those, I don't let them in because when you admin a big group, then sometimes people like just to like to just join just to drop spam in. And so that's my way of, you know, keeping the group more valuable and content focused. So if you join that group, in the week of October 4th through October 10th, there's going to be a post about this podcast and all you have to do is comment something on that post on that thread that you want to be entered in the giveaway like I'm in please enter me in the giveaway or anything like that and on October 10th 
I'll do a random drawing of everybody who commented and one lucky, lucky winner will get Lala's book, Healing Our Backs with Yoga. Yay. Yeah. So before we wrap up, Lala, is there anything else that you want to share with my audience? And if not, or after that, you can also let people know how they can find you, how they can find out more about you, how they can find your book, all that. So um, I would like to let people know that I do also have um, two courses with Yoga U online. Uh, One is uh, the basics of back pain relief, uh, and it includes four guided practice sessions where I actually talk through how I'm doing the pose, why I'm doing it, how it's useful, and there are four 30-minute uh, practice sessions with that. And then I have another one, Yoga for the Asymmetric Pelvis, which ended up being my deepest specialty because, as you and I know, that's a whole other topic. There's so many yoga teachers now that have given themselves asymmetric pelvises by uh, practices that were not particularly balanced, sequences that were, did not integrate them and balance them. So there's a lot of that running rampant right now, and it is an area of that's my deepest uh, uh, personal specialty because of my asymmetric pelvis, so I've really delved into that. So I also have a course with Yoga U on Yoga for the Asymmetric Pelvis, and it's designed the same way, four different uh, 30-minute sequences. Uh, And then I have the DVDs that I did, the early ones for low back, neck, and shoulder, and the Asymmetric Pelvis DVD available on Amazon along with my book. So there's a lot of ways that people could plug in. Um, I'm just so happy for people to have this information because I always get incredible feedback from people of how much they love it and how much it's helping them. And that just, you know, it just feels good to share valuable knowledge that people can apply to their own lives so they can live a pain-free life and enjoy themselves, enjoy their yoga practice, enjoy their family, enjoy their work. That's really a a beautiful thing. So I'm really happy about that. Um, My website, you can either do lilaschwartz.com or yoga with, all spelled out, yoga with lila. That's L-I-L-L-A-H.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing a bit of your experience and your wisdom with us. I love that you have these guided videos so that people can really make it easy on themselves to do, you know, to, to do a sequence three days in a row. They can just get one of these videos and follow along. So that would be a really cool, cool option. Yay. Yes, it is. And they're available digitally as well. So the videos can be purchased on Amazon, but through my site, you can actually purchase any of the three of my videos digitally. Perfect. And then when, you know, when this episode's released, uh, Lila is a member of the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. So I'm sure if you have any specific questions for her that she would be happy to, to touch in and answer them personally. So I would. Thank you. Thank you again, Lila. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mado. I appreciate it as well. Blessings to all yogis and yoginis. Lila is a person who has had a huge impact on many, many yoga teachers in my community here in Asheville and has had a big impact on my own teaching as well. So I'm really grateful to have had the chance to have her on the podcast. I've also been working with the sequences in her book in the way that she recommended 
And so recently I've done her basic back care sequence three days in a row, and I love it. It feels really good in my body. Her sequences, she's not the type of person who is going to teach a sequence once and then just kind of discard it. She has been working on these sequences for decades, and they are really, really good. So I highly recommend going out and buying her book wherever you buy yoga books. I know it's available on Amazon. Some of us, <laughs> I know is, Amazon's a mixed bag, but you'll definitely be supporting her wherever you buy the book. The week that I'm recording this, we're expecting a really big storm here on the East Coast, and people are kind of freaking out about it. On a practical level, the issue is possible flooding, but everyone that I talk to seems to be feeling kind of generally anxious or off. And I've, I have been feeling that way myself, but after a morning of recording a podcast and working with my one-on-one clients, I feel much more at peace, more centered, more focused. And I have noticed that the best way to get out of my own head is to fo- focus on serving others. So whether you're feeling really inspired or if you're feeling scattered or anxious, please consider what action you can take today to share the gift of yoga with your community. If you are feeling like you're unsure about the best way to do that, reach out for help. You might have a fellow yoga teacher that you can trade time with or a senior teacher that you trust who knows you well. I'm happy to offer my support on the private Facebook group for this podcast. If you're not a member, you can go to teachingyoga.net, click the Join Our Community tab on the top. For more in-depth support, please sign up for a strategy session with me, which can be done over video conferencing from anywhere in the world. And you can sign up for a strategy session also on my website, teachingyoga.net. There's a link up at the top right that says work with me. That's all for this week. I hope that it is a wonderful week for you where you push your edges a bit, step outside your comfort zone, and experience your incredible life to the fullest. While you're doing all that, please remember to make time for your personal practice. I'll see you next week.